Welcome to the Kansas Reflector Podcast. I'm Tim Carpenter. Today, Stephen Johnson, the former Kansas House member from the central part of the state who was elected to statewide office in November, is with us to explore the politics and intrigue of serving as Kansas State Treasurer. Mr. Johnson's political career got off the ground while serving as student body president at Kansas State University. He launched a career in business finance before pivoting in 2010 to a seat in the legislature, serving on the House Tax, Pensions, Budget, and Agriculture Committees. While he serves as the state's uh, banker, so to speak, hopefully someone is taking care of the wee beans and corn back in Assyria. Mr. Treasurer, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for being here and taking time out of your day. So you were elected, uh, you know, five, six months ago. Well, elected in November, but you've been in serving since January. So what's what's it like being state treasurer? It has been a busy time. So we've had a lot that we can do, which is fortunate. Um, the state of the state's finances have been good, so we've had good things to be able to do. The interest rates, uh, perhaps higher than they should be, in my opinion and others, but it gives us a lot that we can work on in the state treasurer's office. Um, blessed with a good staff that has been there on the professional side running the office and great people who have joined me to make sure we get our work done. So the transition wasn't terribly difficult because of the people that are were there before? I mean, institutional knowledge? Correct. So a lot of institutional knowledge that was there could call out each of the areas, people who've worked on unclaimed property, people who've worked in IT, people who've worked in the fiscal services dis- di- division, uh, the partners we have outside of the office, all have been exceedingly helpful. Okay, good. So... Part of your job is to look after the state's cash assets. Um, so if, if the projections are correct, Kansas, by the time the legislature comes back next year, could have as much as $3 billion in the bank of Kansas. And that would be in a, a rainy day fund plus just in the, you know, the cash reserves, uh, which is a good thing. If you're a legislator the, the, or a state government official, the worst thing to do is be around when they're cutting spending rather than spending more or have money to spend. So, so what kind of steps is your office taking to uh, what's your role with dealing with that $3 billion? So there's a uh, fund called the Pooled Money Fund, and the Pooled Money Investment Board handles those dollars. It's essentially the float for the state, and the $3 billion number is looking at what the ending balance could be that's left after we pay bills. But in addition to that, there's the money that comes in that we use to pay the bills with. And in managing that through the calendar year, we should make just over $300 million in interest on the float as it passes through our hands. So it has been uh, even more important this year than a year ago or at other times to pay attention to where that money is sitting and what it can do for the state. One of the first things that we happened to see uh, in January was just what was in the checking account and, well, to what is that applied? And do we need to have that amount? Um, we invest in the overnight rate, a lot of dollars. Right now, about $2 billion is just going into the overnight rate where we get 5%. Um, another, if you look at 
a balance around 100 million, if you can get 5% a night, you want to pick up that coupon. So, mm-hmm. um, and our bank has been a great partner to work with. We let them know we want to find something where that can be productively applied for the state. They helped us with a couple of and options. Just to inter- as well. interject there, the idea is to do short term investments, very short term, so that you uh, don't interrupt the cash flow that goes out on a daily basis to pay the the bills and obligations of state government. That's exactly right. So on the cash piece, and if you talk to bankers or others, there's a a simple acronym called SLY, which is first stability, second liquidity, and third yield. Mm -hmm. While we all get excited about the yield, we have to make sure that there's uh, collateralization, no risk to losing those assets, that there are uh, other things upon which we can rely. Mm -hmm. As you just mentioned, the liquidity then is the next paramount thing. We need to make sure that it's available. So generally, this is money that we're looking at using within the year, right? Mm -hmm. So it's coming in, it's meant to meet that budget. Um, And uh, then the yield is one other thing we look at with the inversion of the yield curve, it's actually paid us to be on the short end, which is nice as well. Um, We'll have to work a little harder as that yield curve normalizes and we uh, get a a better picture. And that hypothetically, that 5% rate drops to four or something like that as the months go by. Correct. Uh, Uh Not something uh, for uh, the benefit of all of us. I hope that it falls uh, more quickly. Um, But uh, for the value to the state, that rate's been great. Right. So conflicting interests, perhaps, uh, uh, to some degree. So just to put your economist hat on for a second, what's your sense of the status of the Kansas economy? I think unemployment rate has been relatively stable, and I don't know if we're considered at full employment or not, but uh, what about that? Yeah, so the unemployment has been good nationally. It's been good in Kansas. Jobs are available. When we're able to be in the 3% unemployment rate, that's good news. And Mm -hmm. that means the economy is generally working. It doesn't mean that there aren't things we could do better. It doesn't mean that there aren't good people who don't have the right job. But as on the whole, uh, we're able to be productive. And as long as we can have that uh, measure, we can weather a lot of the other storms. The productivity will come in. The dollars will be turning over in the economy. We'll feel that in our communities. We see people continue to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, from the state perspective, that drives the tax revenues and keeps us on target to the projections. And to take one step further afield from your real job, uh, do you, I think you hinted that perhaps the Fed moved in maybe in a slightly more aggressive manner than you would have done. Yes. Um, on interest rates, the I think we stayed too low too long, allowing inflation. I think we had some policies that were very inflationary, and I think trying to fight them at a point in time can be really hard on the banking sector, on others, as we're seeing with the liquidity crisis that, that created for banks to try to work through. So um, I might have preferred uh, starting a little quicker and just doing it over a longer period of time than the uh, speed with which it was, was happening. Um, Um, I feel like we have gotten to that point where we needed to arrive. I know Canada has signaled another quarter point rise. I Hmm. don't know if we'll have another quarter point rise. Uh, I'm glad that we took at least a little breather to let things settle down and be able to get some some of those uh, maturities all the way through so that, that bank balance sheets and other things can work a little better. As I've looked at the state treasurer's office over the last 20-something years, whatever, uh, I've kind of viewed it as, you know, it's, it's a partisan election. You're a Republican. But 
I think the work assignments of it are you're working on the best interests of the state. So largely it's been nonpartisan, non, you know, kind of nonpolitical. But the state legislature in this past session, uh, there was a bill out there that would have had the state treasurer administer or manage some state funding that uh, perhaps they're called educational savings accounts, I'm not sure the exact terminology, that, that would have gone to students in private schools. That bill did not survive the legislative process, but what did you think about that kind of proposal and, and handing that responsibility to you? So working through the education savings accounts, there's a lot of good discussion that happened there. There may be some uh, solutions that can allow parents choice that can work and still work with the budget. Um, our role is to implement it. So if the legislature works through it, or at least it was proposed in that case, as you mm -hmm. had said, mm -hmm. it could have gone to other places as well. Wouldn't necessarily have had to go to the treasurer's office. Um, but do you do it there? Do you do it in the Department of Education? I think the legislature's discussion was they maybe did not want to go to the Department of Education, and they might be able to explain those uh, thoughts better than I. Mm -hmm. um, and we then would seek the same types of vendors that would be able to to handle those payments and make that work uh, as directed by whatever bill would pass. The presumption is that if they had handed you that responsibility, you would have sought a vendor to handle that day-to-day because -day, perhaps you're not staffed to do yeah, it. Yeah, we would not have the staff to handle that as is. I think that was part of the fiscal note was looking at what does it take to be able to implement that. So you're talking tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, and you're, you're, you're having individual transactions made by people, individuals who are going to school and have access to those accounts. I mean, that's, right. that's a pretty big accounting lift. There's, uh, there would be a fair amount of accounting, keeping those balances mm -hmm. straight, knowing mm -hmm. what is a qualified expense. Ugh. All of those pieces need to be put together. And again, there are other states that are doing that. Not necessarily reinventing the wheel. We can learn what hasn't worked well uh, before stepping into that and uh, what is working and, and would just try and step into that as best we could. There's another piece that the legislature got you involved in. Uh, it's more of a procurement thing as well, I believe. But I believe you're supposed to handle the request for proposals from people interested in the contract that would handle a couple million bucks in state money for uh, adoption assistance and perhaps helping uh, women uh, to complete a pregnancy and, and the like. This gets you very close to the anti-abortion issue, which is not traditionally something the state treasurer has been involved in. Uh, I believe you're going to do this. Uh, you're going to be responsible for this, but how do you feel about that? So, again, glad to help the legislature with that. The alternatives to abortion bill that they passed was to, again, do just that. The alternatives to abortion, you're right, it's exactly $2 million. Uh, They were looking for someone who could implement that. Our role is the RFP process, request for proposal. So, again, a rote state mandated process of how we choose a vendor that would actually implement that strategy. Mm -hmm. So uh, typically maybe the Department of Administration and Kansas Department of Administration might have handled something like that perhaps. Right. Could have been others. But the alternative there. was was to have you all. Right. Um, so any sense of uh, is there a finger on the scale that's going to give the contract to Kansans for Life, the anti-abortion lobbying organization? So there is not. And as we worked through that, one of the things that we tried to vet with the legislature is exactly what are you wanting? 
and what are the measures for success? How do mm-hmm. we lay that out so that anyone who might apply would know? And in that, um, there, there were no names given to say, oh, this is the entity which we think is just ready to go. No preferred applicant. Right. All right. Another piece of your job, you're on the CAPERS board of trustees, correct? Mm -hmm. By virtue of being state treasurer? Right. So there's been a lot of hubbub about ESG, which is, I'll try to explain it here, environmental, social, and governance metrics that some advocates want to use to influence the conduct of private businesses and state governments, including pension funds. And so there's some ESG uh, language that requires capers, I believe the Kansas Public Employment Retirement System, to seek the highest possible return on investment, lowest risk, but, but, to, but to focus on their fiduciary responsibility rather than wading into environmental or social issues as they go about that, which some companies do enthusiastically. So explain a little bit more about how this is going to work and why this is important for capers. So that's exactly, uh, as you laid it out, that is ESG. On those measures and potentially even further afield, but focused on environmental, social, and governance, how might some entities control policy or direction through investment capital in something that I'd say had traditionally been reserved to the policy? We make policy to regulate, to do whatever it is to achieve a policy objective. Mm-hmm. Um, so these efforts uh, through either corporate board elections uh, or corporate measures or just other requirements that could be there were, were set up to say, well, okay, if we can't achieve it this way, we'll just try and make the invested capital achieve that objective. So maybe an advocate for an environmental cause can't get that accomplished through the legislative process or the regulatory process. They would just go and maybe apply these ESG principles to try to pressure companies to right. to conform to their ideals. Right. Okay. So the, the uh, poster case for it, uh, either side, it's not it, mm-hmm. one of the things that was done was engine number one's effort to elect green energy advocates to the board of ExxonMobil, the largest U.S. oil company. And they were successful two years ago. They elected three out of four board members to ExxonMobil's board. ExxonMobil had tried to work with them in the process and said, well, we'll put one on ourselves, one of 12. Uh, They said that's not enough. So with that one and their three, they got four. They'd need six to get control of the board. Ah. So that was a direction uh, that was going to say, okay, rather than deploying your several hundred million of capital towards your core competence Mm -hmm. of uh, fossil fuels, we're going to have you be in the energy business, but you're going to do green energy. Suddenly love solar panels. Right. Or some, how might that work together? Mm. And so the question that I would have from the fiduciary side in my oversight is to say, is that the most efficient way to deploy that capital? Will there still be a need for fossil fuels in the next decade? realistically. Mm -hmm. Is there a way through investment to make that better, faster, cleaner, cheaper? How does all of that play out? And given, in the case of capers, we invest passively in the U.S. stock market. We own the Russell 3000. We're not trying to pick companies or have a manager that picks companies. We buy the index. 
in that we own Exxon. If the strategy works, great, we all win. If it doesn't work, the future of Exxon is damaged. As an index investor, I continue to hold that until such time it exits the index, which is a really rotten strategy for me, right? Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to be careful that we aren't working against ourselves in voting proxy shares in this particular case in something that might not be in the best interest of the pensioners. So as a public policy, the state legislature and the governor, and let this become law, I guess, um, wants to send a message to capers to keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the investment return of that very important uh, retirement system for public employees all over the state, hundreds of thousands of people. That's right. basically it. And don't get mangled, tangled up in all this political stuff. Well, for capers, it was on the proxy voting. And it was very much on the contracting. It was just that. It says pro or con, it's not going to be what we use to decide contracts. I'm not going to say because you do it. I'm not going to use you. I'm not going to say I'm not going to use you unless you do it. Have you got the best option for the state? If so... That's where we go. Professor Johnson, I'm going to give you an assignment of okay. Business 101 uh, <laughs> in as brief and as clear a manner as you can. What's proxy voting? So great. I was talking about proxy voting, and uh, now I'll get a chance to actually make people uh, or give them a chance. To you have this have glimmer in your eye yeah. like you've been waiting for me to ask you. <laughs> so proxy voting in the corporate governance world, the annual meetings are driven by a democratic vote, if you will. Typically, one shareholder has one vote, and you vote your shares for whatever the measures are before the corporation. So one of those members, as we were mentioning in the Exxon case, is for board of directors. So you vote for those. It can also be for things as exciting as ratifying the auditor that you're going to use that year, <laughs> um, which is one of the items voted on every year by every uh, corporate board. Um, and then they can go further afield. There's been um, the concept of stakeholder and shareholder activism that was promoted by some money managers where you might get some other proposals directly or tangentially related to the company uh, that are brought to be voted on. Those measures then each shareholder votes in accordance with their ownership stake in the company. And so Capers is a shareholder in a bunch of companies, a bunch thousands, of companies. thousands of companies, and, and they can't shareholder. realistically go and make all these proxy votes, all these votes on those issues. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they, they hire a proxy voter, right? There's somebody to go in and deal with all that right. minutia. So uh, one, that's the proxy. One route, exactly. One route is to let your money manager vote the proxy. And historically, that had often been the case. So mutual fund managers, those who have ETF shares, they collect all of these and may vote them on behalf of mm -hmm. their share their owners okay. and uh, this then said we want to be sure it's a little challenging to figure out where is every money manager so one route is okay we want you to pick the good money managers well that's subjective and difficult and changing where our real issue with being passive in the U.S. wasn't in selecting where to invest. It was merely looking at these corporate governance issues and where they went to the activist role versus the maximized return role. 
Okay, so for all the people that are traumatized about having to think about proxy voting, let's move on to, we're through with that, let's roll on to the unclaimed property system, which is part of the state treasurer's office. And this is where if you left money in in a safety deposit box or something like that, or you had a, a... reimbursement check of some kind and that didn't get to where it needed to be the person involved in it it could end up in your office and so that's the unclaimed property and you try to connect people to their property which is can be a real challenge because you have hundreds of millions of dollars of property we do a little over 500 million dollars that we would love to return to the rightful owner so you have are there any new features there related to that you can go online and and see if you can you're holding property which is a great thing to do go to kansascash.ks.gov the first icon will be unclaimed property click on that put in last name first name uh it is a new system that you can search but uh where a lot of times people will hit that um if if there's a maiden name, put that in. Hmm. See if somehow we got disconnected in that point. Mm-hmm. The first unclaimed property can often be in college. We were talking about our college days earlier when someone moves from that address and there was a utility deposit and now they can't find that student and it's on the books. So if there's an address change, uh, all of those things are good good times to stay in touch every couple of years to see what types of things might come up. Hmm. So... so- the system change that we mentioned in terms of what changed the effort to get it back is not a new effort that's one that the state has been working on for several decades Um, but we did go to a a system that is a a national vendor we had programmed it ourselves in the treasurer's office they had done a great job with that Um, that the ability to go with the federal vendor does a few things for us as uh, security issues continue to be a challenge Um, having somebody that's dealing with that going forward as hiring staff to do IT work becomes a challenge having having uh, less dependence on the ability and the demand we have on on talent and resources here as we uh, partner with other states there are several states in this system it's easier to find those monies that are in another state that are unclaimed for for Hmm. someone that's here so uh, trying to work together with that but it's been a big challenge for the staff to work through the change in that system and try and keep service consistent so this is outsourced for the first time this unclaimed property and do you think just to close that out the idea of fraud prevention that you think the aspects of that will be improved? Um, I think we've done an exceptional job on it so far. Okay. Uh, however, <laughs> the 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 threat going forward, people seem to be getting ever more creative in their challenges to systems and um, being able to segment that one in its own group and have somebody watching from a number of areas could be a potential benefit for us. We did flag a fraud case right out of the gate um, that might not have been caught in our other hmm. system. It's Interesting. A, it, you don't always know when you haven't run it completely through. But uh, Is this the African that. king who uh, <laughs> no, I, just I, wants to get his loot? I, I don't know from where that particular one came, but getting the word out is the key. And we were really fortunate. I think February 1st is Unclaimed Property Day, and uh, uh, our communications manager did a press release wibw picked it up came mm-hmm. to the office and did a quick interview so our partners in the press are key we went from 62 claims a day to 985 that day so oh. just letting people know and it slowly has ebbed back down 
but it was that network where they brought it out. Some partner stations picked that up. We were just fortunate from that that so many more people just went on and checked the site and and found their money. So journalists are relevant. (laughs) That is a a great help. And we look forward to working with people anywhere where we can get the the information out that people need across Kansas. One other piece of your office that was there, been there for many years, is the, I think it's called the 529 program. It's a college savings program. Mm -hmm. So what is, is there any update there? So that continues to evolve as well. So now we'd say college and career training uh, program. There's so many things for which it can be used as education continues to evolve. Um, The needs, how do we specialize? Um, So as you look to what career do you want to follow, how do you open that door? If I would have gone to a diesel mechanics school, I could have used it to buy the tools that I needed mm-hmm. um, to get started that were required as well as the tuition and costs that were there. So the planning opportunities, I think, continued to expand as we look at the need that is there. Another thing that's continued to change just in this last year, Congress passed a bill that changed and allows leftover dollars in the 529 plan to be converted to a Roth IRA, which makes it a more powerful planning tool. So here I can say, okay, I got a plan, I've got it, education, it's tax-free, and I get my state tax deduction, great. But if I don't use 35,000 of that for education, I get to convert it to a Roth, and now I get my state state income tax deduction on what became a Roth contribution, and I get those dollars tax-free. Well, that's a good deal. It is a great deal. So the flexibility that is there to plan across goals, and uh, uh, so I thank Congress for their work on that to continue to give people flexibility to take their best effort at planning and give them some additional wins after everything Any idea what the uh, balance is in the 529 account, Kansas? Um, so overall assets in Learning Quest are about nine billion dollars. Hmm. So um, it's that's a, incredible. That's huge. It's a significant amount. That's we the are. Kansas part of Learning Quest. So that is the overall part of Learning Quest. So there is a Charles Schwab entity that is sold nationwide. That is our largest one. American okay. Century has an advisor platform, and it, yeah, I see. So how much of that is Kansas? How much is not? Um, anyway, the amount. Hmm. Yeah. So before we go, I just wanted to ask you some gen- generic political questions, but I'm curious about political people and, and the evolution of thought, their personal evolution of thought. And maybe you have some ideas about government that are different than a decade ago when plus when you came to the legislature. Um, so do you think that's the case? Do you think most people tend to grow and, and evolve in their political philosophy or, or are people pretty rigid? So I think in most professions, there's an opportunity to grow and evolve in what you know, uh, how things work, uh, how to get things done. Um, and and uh, just as you gain greater perspective, I've learned so much more about the state budget, and I still have a lot to learn. So trying to put all of that together, I think, does matter. 
changing, um, you know, the core values, I think, tend to be more consistent as, mm-hmm. as folks work through those processes. But very definitely the information that I would have if I were to sit down with a budget from 2011 now uh, would just be meaningfully different than when I was uh, lucky enough to first walk in the door. There's a huge learning curve, plus all kinds of things change. Technology, for example. All of those things change that are there. Learning how things get done was also, uh, you get, uh, uh, sometimes we joked about the schoolhouse rock version of passing a bill. (laughs) And um, uh, I think the joke might be on us in terms of how things can actually become law as you get to the conference committee process. And uh, for better or worse, late in the game, we need to make sure we considered X. How do we make sure that that's addressed uh, before we adjourn for the year? Uh, you think your years in the Kansas House, working on committees, working on bills of all kinds, helped you in the state treasurer's office? Without a doubt. I can't imagine coming in cold without the knowledge of the cash flow from the appropriations and tax committees, uh, some understanding of the liability of the pension before going on to the pension board. All of those were so mm-hmm. helpful to be able And then in looking at, okay, what are our statutory requirements? What ones now might we want to come back next year and say, do we adjust this on this particular loan program from the bank to get better usage or better meet what we think was your objective? Um, One of the great things we have in Kansas on the 529 program is the kids program, which will match up to $600 of a contribution into a 529 plan four people at 200% of poverty level or below. So for a family of four, that'd be a level of income of 60,000. Well, as it would turn out, one of the legislators that was engaged in that when it was passed was uh, Representative Ed O'Malley, who's now gone through the Leadership uh, Center in Wichita and is Mm -hmm. back working with, I believe, the Health Foundation and said, you know what, what did we really want to achieve? And Can we now take a look back and say, A, are we achieving it? And B, are there ways to achieve it better so that if we want to scale that, we could do it a little differently and be able to handle more than the number that are currently authorized in statute. Maybe broaden eligibility a bit. So uh, studying what we do then gives us a chance to figure out how to do it better. I think that's an important part. One final question, just as from your, you know, Asaria remind people where that is in the middle of the state very roughly the middle of the state just near south salina. of salina yeah. yeah it's a suburb of salina we'll say it could be yeah <laughs> anyway politically do you think the 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 gap the policy the perspective gap between urban and rural legislators is widening hmm. do you think you know, I don't know if I have enough perspective to know if it is widening uh, in that I know it's been a concern for a long period of time. I did find my fellow legislators always strove to understand the other side on the urban-rural piece, even though we bring our knowledge to that. Mm-hmm. Many participate in a conference called the Meet in the Middle Conference, which Lindsburg mm-hmm. will be hosting on the 22nd of June this year, uh, that a number of people here in Topeka helped put together. And that was a great place to come together over those issues. It's done every other year. I forget if this is the, I think this is the fourth one that will be done. Um, but it was meant to address that. And I found that people were at least willing to talk about it. Yeah. I just think sometimes getting, um, 
you know, an urban legislator from, say, Johnson County thinks about water. They're thinking about the tap, uh, what's coming out of the tap. But for somebody uh, irrigating crops in, in a ar- more arid part of the state is thinking about water differently. And kind of blending that together just seems some, sometimes, even public education, you know, just sometimes ships passing in the night. It can be. And water then becomes even a regional issue between an irrigation in one area and another is very different in how that or works. Or neighbor to neighbor. So, um, but, but I, I think there has been a willingness to talk about that. It is one where we're all in this together, yeah. um, I think for better. And uh, the agricultural part and component of our state and the value add that we have up the chain in our cities, I I think is something that has a lot of value for us. And I I found a lot of times folks consider that a lot of our leaders in our urban areas were from rural areas Mm -hmm. and uh, found that was also helpful. Uh, Not that communication on any issue is perfect. I think we're going to leave it there. I want to thank Stephen Johnson, the Kansas State Treasurer, newly minted earlier this year. I want to thank you for taking time and and sharing some of your views on these issues. Thank you. Good to be with everyone and the listeners. Thank you. Thank you.